Well, good morning. morning. It's good to see you, family. Uh, good to be with you guys this morning. I know the uh, I know the idea of a mission statement or a vision series at a church for some has has the ring of corporate America. Uh, it feels like something that happens at a team building retreat. Uh, in the morning, everyone takes a turn on the trust fall and the high ropes. And then after lunch, we'll spend time crafting our mission and vision statements. Uh, At best, it feels like an exercise in establishing unity and morale. And at worst, it feels like some sort of marketing thing. Uh, How does our mission set us apart from the competition? What makes us unique uh, in our product space? What makes us the best at making our particular widget? And the idea of, of mission likely rings even more hollow Uh, When we've seen companies or been a part of organizations where, number one, people simply don't know the mission or the vision of the organization they're a part of, or number two, they operate in such a way that actually contradicts the stated mission. You've definitely felt this before. Uh, I want you to think of that moment that you stood in the most terrible line. Uh, It may have been, I'm not going to say it is, but it may have been a government-run office. No offense if that's the sort of office you work in. Um, and, and, but you've seen them, not, not all of them, but you've seen them where person after person uh, is, uh, as they walk through the line, uh, they, the, the employee treats them with the you're an idiot level of sarcasm uh, for every question that's asked. Simple requests are denied uh, or they're flatly ignored. And as you step up to the window, you see a sign above the desk that reads, thank you for choosing us where customers are like family. Or the customer is always right, or your happiness is our number one aim. Uh, The activity of the organization is betraying uh, its stated aim. And this is why we not only need a mission, uh, why we need values, but also why we must revisit them. Parents, you likely do this frequently at home. Uh, My kids have heard on more than one occasion, that's not how we behave in our family. When jealousy is stirred up in the family, we revisit our values. We say things like, we're for each other in this family. We rejoice when something good happens to our sibling or when someone in the family lives about about something. Uh, We speak back uh, of the mission. Remember who we are. We trust one another. Jesus is truth. He's given us truth. So we tell the truth to one another. And that's exactly what's happening in these sermons. What is the mission? What is the aim that defines the Redeemer family? Who are we and what are we about? But we need more than a statement that is crafted at a team building retreat. We don't need our mission. We need the mission of God. We need a mission that springs forth from his word. Over the years, we've used a memorable slogan. It doesn't dig and get into every nook and cranny of the mission or identity of God's people, but it is a simple bite-sized reminder of, of what we want to be about, making disciples and making much of Jesus. And last week, Lawson uh, reminded us that, that our aim is to make disciples. This is at the core of what it means to be God's family, that a healthy family with healthy children are growing. Uh, The children are growing, God's children, feasting on the means of his grace that he provides, learning as his apprentices, teaching others. This means we're we're growing in our understanding of his word. We're participating in corporate worship and selfless service. We're living in the community of believers. We're spurring one another on uh, so that we might look more like our teacher, our savior. 
And now this week we hit the second part of that statement, making much of Jesus. So what does it mean for us as the people of God at Redeemer to make much of Jesus? You've likely seen it on signage here or on uh, some maybe, maybe materials that have gone out. It's the, it's the URL of our website, for crying out loud. You can't really miss it. Uh, making much of Jesus. But more, more than the slogan, uh, how does it shape the mission of, of our family? And so we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna look to God's word. It's gonna be a little different this morning, uh, a little different than our usual method of, of walking through a, one particular text. We wanna walk through, I think, several texts this morning um, as we, by God's grace, I hope we're gonna answer these three, three questions. Uh, making much of Jesus, number one, what does it mean? Number two, uh, how will it happen in you? And number three, what will it look like in us? Let me pray for us. Father, like we, like we do daily, we just confess right now that we need you. We confess that apart from you, apart from your work, apart from your spirit moving uh, this morning with us in our gathering, that, that, that we will accomplish nothing. We need your spirit. We need, the, we need the reality of the gospel of your son to fall on us. We need the beauty of Jesus to be real to us. So would you help us? Would you lead us today? Father, we also lift up our brothers and sisters and our friends and family who are in Louisiana today. God, we ask as this hurricane comes in uh, and, and, and rolls into uh, the, the, the Gulf Coast and into Mississippi, God, would you, would you bless them? Would you protect them? Would you minimize damage and loss of life, Father? And would you, uh, would you glorify yourself? And so, Father, we, would, you, would you bring safety? We ask that this morning. So, God, lead us now. Uh, we need your help. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, number one, what does it mean? Making much of Jesus. What do we mean by making much of Jesus? I want to read uh, from Psalm 34. Uh, we, in fact, we, we read this to begin the service this morning. Uh, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble fear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I really think this Hebrew word, uh, gadal, which there's, there's a couple others like it, uh, this one's often translated as magnify or, or to grow up or exalt, it really gets to the root of this idea. Uh, there are several words that, that communicate the same, the same principle throughout the, the Old Testament and the New. Magnify the Lord. This is how we interpret these words. Magnify the Lord. Make his name great. Uh, Lawson shared from 1 Corinthians 10 last week, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We're to glorify him. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 1, my eager expectation and my hope is that Christ will be highly honored in my body. Uh, we want him to be honored. Magnify him, glorify him, honor him, exalt him. In short, make a big deal out of him. And that, that's, that's what we get to do. We get to participate in the glorifying, the glorification of Jesus, that we would somehow make Christ look good, make a big deal out of him. But it's, it's really interesting though, because the idea of making much of something or someone can mean two different things, can it? Uh, you may say, well, my friends, they made a big deal out of my birthday. It really wasn't a big deal, but they made a big deal about it. Um, and, and what you mean is that, that wasn't a big deal, but they made a big deal out of it. And we see this all the time, don't we? Uh, there are entire volumes of books and TV shows and sold out arenas dedicated to the WWE 
the World Wrestling, what is it now? It's not the Federation anymore. World Wrestling Entertainment. I think that's what it is. Uh, world, entire, entire podcasts, uh, painted faces all around the world for fake wrestling. People make much of pretty silly things. How about the Comic-Con folks? Or the Star Wars people. Sorry to all my Star Wars friends. Uh, People have dedicated their entire lives to analyzing the Marvel Universe, to understanding the interplay between all the Avengers and the other superheroes who I can't name. Entire lives have been devoted uh, to learning, to knowing, to even reenacting scenes and characters from Star Wars. Much is being made about a lot of things that are not really important. Maybe it's not Star Wars or fake wrestling for you. You see, there's this thing called college football. Go Tigers. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a whole thing, right? I love it. I love it. I eat it up. It's great. Then there's the baseball nerds. Uh, I'm one of them with stats memorized and, and entire October's etched into forever into your mind. There's the Disney enthusiasts. Nothing need more be said. There's the, the, the wine snobs. Uh, there's the home decor obsessors. There's the minute-by-minute stock mark evaluators and watchers. And there's the fashionistas. I could go on. Much is being made about a dizzying variety of small things. Things celebrated today and then forgotten tomorrow. And that's one way to make much of something. To take something small, something of relatively little importance, relatively little eternal value, and to blow it up, to make much of it. On the other hand, there is another way to make much of something that's, that's not to make something small seem bigger than it really is. Rather, it's to make something really big, rightly known. To make something really big, rightly appreciated and seen. You see, sometimes people live unaware of things that are really big, really amazing. In 1974, there was a group of engineers and scientists. They had an idea. They, they met about it. They planned. They dreamed. Four years later, in 1978, they finally got the thumbs up from Congress. And this group of scientists, they began the work of grinding and sharpening an eight-foot-wide mirror. And it took over 15 years from their very first meeting Uh, But in 1990, that eight-foot-wide mirror would be launched into space as part of the Hubble telescope. But guess what? The Hubble telescope got to space, and it sent back blurry pictures. Did you know that? I, I, I didn't even realize this. It sent back blurry pictures. It wasn't until 1994 when another entire crew was sent to space to to fix the telescope so that it could send clear images uh, that we finally got to see. I don't know, they should have dial in the focus, I guess. Um, I think it was more complicated than that. Um, But now, now here we are 27 years later and our minds are still being blown. I mean, unbelievable, right? Why? Did the telescope take something tiny and make a big deal out of it? No, the telescope took something huge. Objects in our galaxy and beyond, things that to the human eye seemed very small, very insignificant, things we would otherwise miss or ignore. 
The, the telescope has taken those objects and rightly made big deals out of them. Things like NGC 2023, the Horsehead Nebula. I was, when I was walking on the stage in the first service, I, that, that Horsehead Nebula, and we had, we had just been, ended singing about the return of Jesus. And I thought, man, Jesus is gonna return on a white horse and he's got a big old horse up in the sky. Like he has put stuff out here that we couldn't even see. We had to, we had to invent stuff uh, by his grace so that we could see him. We've gotten just a taste, a taste of, of supernova remnants, of dying stars, and of the Sombrero Galaxy. I mean, just unreal stuff. And this is what we mean by making much of something. Not to make something greater than it really is, but rather to truly show something great, to show its true greatness. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Long before the Hubble telescope, God revealed himself. That's better than the Sombrero Galaxy. He showed himself to Moses. And after rescuing God's people out of Egypt Egypt and, and meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai and giving him the law, what did Moses want? In Exodus 33, he tells the Lord, I want to see it all. I want to know the full display. I want to show me your glory, he says. Please, let me see you in all your glory. And God knows better. God knows what Moses needs and that a full display of his glory would, would kill Moses. So what does he do? He, he, he even covers his eyes and then shows him his back and, and, and he reminds Moses of his glory just another sneak peek. And then, just, and, then, and then he proceeds to tell him about his glory in the law and the covenant and the promise he's made to his people. And over the course of years, God's glory would be seen by his people. His glory was with them, and, and, yet, and yet it was still distant. His glory was with them in the tent of meeting, but still far. Moses and Joshua being near, near to God, but so many from a distance seeing him. It was in the tabernacle as they moved from place to place and in the Ark of the Covenant. And his glory was eventually on display in Solomon's temple. It was fearsome. It was a terrifying thing to draw near to the glory and the holiness of God in the Holy of Holies. This is God's glory. Even David wrote in the Psalms, he wrote about the, the things that even the Hubble telescope is just starting to show us. He wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the expanse proclaims the work of his hand. God's divine presence was with the people in his creation and in his, his, glor his glorious presence in the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple, on display, yet still unapproachable. He had made himself known to them in a way that they could get near and yet not fully in view. Until in the fullness of time, Paul says in Galatians, God sent forth his son, and what do we know about the son? John tells us this in his gospel account. He says in chapter one of, first John, or of, of, of John's gospel, he says, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God's glory in the flesh on display. Hebrews says uh, in chapter one, uh, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus brought the full tilt display of God's glory to us. 
He came here. He was here. He lived. He died. And he rose again. He revealed himself. He showed himself. And yet even still, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the glory of God is veiled to many. Even now, we forget him. From moment to moment, we minimize him. So we must, make to aim, we must aim to make much of him. We want to make a big deal about Jesus because he is a big deal. We want to magnify him. We're not making him a bigger deal than he is. No, like the Hubble telescope, we really want to blow him up and, so that all might see him for the big deal that he really is. Number two, how will it happen in you? So for us to make much of Jesus, he must first be a big deal to us. To illustrate this idea, I want us to look together at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. Starting in verse 44, Jesus said these words. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. So we've got two men here. We'll call them the farmer and the merchant. And what motivates this farmer and this merchant? What motivates them to sacrifice to give everything. It's treasure and joy. What changed? Their, their treasure changed. They found something that was of surpassing value. Everything changed when they found something that they, that they believed was of priceless worth. This was no longer, this wasn't a sacrifice for them. They, they were winning on the deal. They were getting over, they thought. Losing everything was now gain to them. And so in their loss of everything else, the scriptures say they're filled with joy. Frederick Bruner, the, uh, who wrote a great commentary on the book of Matthew, he said, in, in an investigation of the Christian missionary enterprise through the centuries will show the spring of mission is joy. Our commitment to the mission of God, our zeal for the cause of Christ for the ministry of the church, for the evangelism of the lost begins with the joy of discovering such life-altering gain. We will make much of that which gives us joy. Catch that. We will make much of that which gives us joy. We'll make much of that which is of supreme value to us. This is why Paul said suffering made his joy complete. That's why he could say even death was gain. Not because God commanded him to think this way. No, he was able to give all, even his life. Why? Because he saw the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. In the same way, our apprenticeship, our discipleship, our walking with Christ comes not from strict adherence to command, but because of joy in the one who gives the command. Because we've seen his surpassing worth. So how will you make much of Jesus? By finding joy, by finding all your fulfillment in him. And how will you do that? You'll do that when he is your treasure. Right after I graduated college, there was a worship song by a guy named Jason Upton that was popular in my circle of friends. And it said this exact thing. 
Uh, he said, he was quoting Isaiah. He said, your thoughts are higher than mine. Your words are deeper than mine. Your love is stronger than mine. This is no sacrifice. Here's my life. So my encouragement to you today is not merely in the form of a command. It's not merely to say, hurry up. Hurry up and make much of Jesus. Get after it. Why aren't you magnifying him? Just, just go do it. Try harder and do it. No, this is not the call following Jesus. Rather, I want to appeal to you in light of the joy that is yours in the gospel of Jesus, the treasure that is found in him. What has captured your joy? What has taken the place of supreme value in your soul? What treasure have you found in the field and in your joy have sold everything for? What is it? What, if we followed the, the trail of breadcrumbs of your, of your thought life, if we followed the trail of your spending, your conversations, if we saw the thing that you sacrificed the most for, because we'll sacrifice for what we treasure, right? What we have joy in. These men sacrifice all that they had. So what do you treasure? What will you sacrifice for? Is it a job? A career? Have you been willing to move anywhere? To take any job, no matter the hours, no matter the demand, no matter if it allows you time to participate in corporate worship and life together with the body of Christ, just so that you can have that paycheck, just for the prestige and the admiration of your peers. Is it a perfect family? Do you treasure the sweetest frame of home and family? Is your treasure the affection or the attention of your spouse? Will you sacrifice everything for well-educated, well-rounded, well-behaved, maybe even popular children? Is it the treasure of pleasure, of fulfilling your own lusts? Will you sell it all for that? Would you give up a clean conscience before the Lord? Would you sacrifice deep intimacy with your spouse Give up even your own vows just to pursue pornography, to entertain lustful thoughts of coworkers or classmates, just to binge the latest explicit TV show or movie. Maybe it's the treasure of ministry. Maybe you so long for the respect of, of having leadership and of, of having a godly position. You're so drawn by the lure of that sort of recognition or even just the desire to do something big for God. That you would sell everything for it. You might even give up on the slow and steady growth that's brought about by God's spirit. That you would despise the slow sanctifying process that God would bring growth to you through rebuke, through correction, through being challenged by his word and his people. Maybe your treasure is your rights as an American. Maybe you'll sacrifice free time. You'll give up relationships with those who disagree. Maybe even sacrifice unity with other believers just to chase down rabbit holes online, just to fight on social media, just to complain about the latest politician or rant about the newest culture war with your neighbor. Seeking to preserve your American life you would sacrifice the joy and the contentment offered to those who long for the better kingdom that Jesus brings. And maybe you even sacrifice those who don't know Jesus, who 
you might not be able to speak with as you, as you lobby for these things, as you seek land and country. These are all counterfeit treasures. Everyone. And if something's rising up within you right now and you're going, hey, that thing I love is a good thing. That's a good thing. I, I love that good thing. Isn't that the whole point though? No one gives up their life for a bad thing. If we had a list of everything the merchant sold to buy the pearl, I dare suspect there were some really great things in the list. But when good things vie for supremacy, when they vie for your resources, when they, when they intrigue you to give all your energy, all your zeal, all your thinking at night, then they have ceased to serve a good purpose. Matthew Henry said, all, all the children of men are busy seeking goodly pearls. One uh, would be rich, another would be honorable, another would be learned, but most are imposed upon and take up with counterfeits for pearls. Those who would have a saving interest in Christ must be willing to part with all for him, leave all to follow him. So I'd ask, what, what's the inevitable conclusion that we would make about this parable? Is it, wow, they sold a lot. I wonder how much they gave up. Or is it, wow, what a, what a sold out merchant. What a dedicated farmer that would give everything for the field. I'll just say no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what we're to take. There's one superstar in these two stories. It's the treasure. The pearl. I guess that's two. We're intended to conclude, oh, what a treasure. What a treasure he must have found. What could bring such joy, such unconditioned sacrifice? What could lead someone to say that I've, I've added up the rest of my life and this treasure is greater than all the rest? I count everything else now as loss. I'm, I'm giving all. And as, as he gave all, the farmer made much of the treasure. As he sold everything, the merchant magnifies the value of the pearl. That's how it is for you. And that's how it is for me as we die to self and we cling to the joy of the treasure that we have found in Jesus. And the quick jump then would be to ask the question, will you give up everything that you have to follow Jesus? Will you give up everything for him? But I would say, I think that the, that question can't truly be asked until the first question is answered. And that question is, is Jesus your treasure? Have you beheld him? Have you gazed upon him? Have you thought about him? Can I take just a moment and tell us a little bit about Jesus? Is that okay? It's a sermon. I guess I can do that, right? Um, in Colossians 1, we read this morning, Paul says this in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If you wanna know God, if you wanna see, yes, you can look to his glory in creation. You can look to all he has made, but if you wanna know God, look to Jesus. The father has made himself known to us in the son. And his son is the first over everything. This means the earth is his. All that belongs to the father 
Everything that you see, Abraham Kuyper said, there's nothing that he looks at and says and does not say mine. Everything you see belongs to the son. Verse 16, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. There is not an atom in existence that didn't find its starting place in the words of Jesus. He made every human hair. He made every foot and every little toe. He came up with water particles. Jesus made that. And then he gave you a body that you could swim in those water particles. He came up with eyelashes. He made the deer that run along Zion Road at night. And yet he made the galaxies that the Hubble telescope is still straining to try to see. He made that pinkish purple color you rarely get on a sunset here in Tomball. And yet he also made kissing. That was his invention. Oh, and he made the invisible things too. That's what Paul said. Jesus created the smell of bread. He made dreams. He made wind and gravity and algebra. He made the longing in our hearts to know him and to love him. He made invisible gas inside the earth that somehow we figured out after a while how to burn it for fuel. And he designed that nervous anticipation that you feel when you're waiting for your baby to be born. Paul says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. No power rivals his. No king rules apart from the authority of Jesus. No demon operates without the permission of Jesus. And it's not all just through him, it's for him. The earth is his and he's going to receive glory from all of it. Verse 17, he's before all things. And by him, all things hold together. Just, can you breathe right now? Our breath has been pretty special to us, I think, during this COVID thing, as we've considered the gift of the breath that God gives us. That very next breath, God, God's giving it to you. He grants breath. Tomorrow morning, when you open your eyes and you see the sun coming up, Jesus draws it up. Do you have an impending sense of dread about the world right now? That the world is falling apart, that there's, there's terrorism and there's political chaos all around. There's social unrest and there's an invisible virus that's killing people we love. Jesus is before it all and he holds all of it together. All of it. But let's go a little closer to home. Verse 18, he is also the head of the body of the church. Is persecution coming for those who are in Jesus? He will hold his saints together. He will hold his church. Are Christians being executed in Afghanistan? As they are, Jesus is with them. He is with them and then when they breathe their last, he is still with them because they are with him. Will pastors falter? Yes, but Jesus is the head of the body. He goes on. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. 
Jesus wasn't just in the beginning, he was the beginning. And he won't just be there at the end. No, he's leading us all to be there too. Because he beat death. He was the firstborn from the dead. Eugene Peterson says, he's the grand marshal leading the resurrection parade. And you're gonna be in the parade. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The father, the father was pleased to show all of his glory in the son. The Godhead on display. Jesus isn't just a sip of God. He is the whole bottle. He is fully God, a fully God. And verse 20, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This whole world has been broken, but Jesus, he's reconciling all of it by his blood. And he's not just reconciling all of that. He's reconciling everything for you. Verse 21, once you, you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he's reconciled you. You weren't just neutral to God. You were undeserving. If you struggled today, if you struggled to, to, to feel like, man, I, I, there's times where I just don't love Jesus the way that I should. Don't undersell yourself. There's times where you hated God. The Bible says that you were hostile, he, that, you guys were in, that you were in enmity with God. Oh, but Jesus. This is the Ephesians 2, but God. He didn't reconcile you by convincing you to change your mind or your thoughts about Jesus. No, Jesus, the one who created lungs, he allowed his lungs to collapse. You needed a new heart, and so he suffered. He suffocated for you. You brought nothing to the table, and Jesus gave everything. He is yours. Do you believe that? Verse 22, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. You were dead. You were doomed. Life for you was meaningless. There was nowhere it was headed. But now you have life. And he didn't just make you alive. He is making you faultless, he says. I'm blameless. He is making you into the image of his son. Jesus is doing this in you. <clears throat> and you were alone. You were without him. But by his mercy, the love of Jesus that is possible because of his death and his resurrection, the love of Jesus was directed with you with the passion of more than a trillion earthly lovers. Friends, do you know Jesus? Who else is like him? What other treasure compares? If you're to make much of Jesus, he's got to be your treasure. He must be everything to you. Number three, what will it look like in us? Verse 
when the love of Jesus falls on a group of people, and, make, and, and, and don't be confused, we need his spirit to help us see his beauty. But when this happens, when the love of Jesus is made manifest and, and shown to a group of people, when he saves a group of sinners and he gathers, gathers them together as his church with Jesus as our head, then Jesus now is, becomes our song. Jesus becomes our message. Jesus becomes our life. Jesus becomes our banner. What else do we as a group of people have to offer? Churches can be so easily duped into, uh, to, to, into making much of other things. But when Jesus is our treasure, where will it lead us? Redeemer, what will it look like for our church, for the Redeemer family to make much of Jesus? I think it'll look like this. It, it will mean that our, our church will unashamedly and unapologetically proclaim Jesus and him crucified. There are a million other ministry aims and distractions. Some churches are known for their counseling. Others are known for being great music churches. Some are known for their children's programs or their beautiful buildings. But I pray that we might be made known, almost annoyingly so, for being all about Jesus. We're working on uh, a sign. We need to, we've, been, we've talked about this since we moved into the building. We've never put a sign out on the road that says actually what the name of our church is. Um, and so there's, there's a little one over here on the side and we thought, you know, we should probably have a sign at some point by the road that says, hey, you're here, you arrived. I know you've been following a map, but this is the one. Don't go to the one across the street. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, but, but so we've, we've, we've talked about doing that, but I love, I love that we've had people walk in and they're like, what church is this? I just saw the cross. Uh, we want to be about Jesus, him crucified. To make much of Jesus as a family, this means our church family will refuse to get riled up by each momentary cause, by the latest theological controversies, by the latest political squabbles. As the world is splintering around us and churches are fracturing over masks and over vaccines and over politics, we will remain unified. Not because we are great, but because only Jesus unifies. Only Jesus will bring together and keep together people of all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all political stripes. He is the head of the body. Making much of Jesus will mean we will be passionate about the things he is about. We will seek the outcast. We will love the stranger. We will do justice and share the good news that Jesus makes the lame to walk, that he gives sight to the blind, that he feeds the poor, that he removes heavy burdens, that his gospel renews and restores. This means we will make much of Jesus to our children, that we'll treasure him and his word around dinner tables and with Bibles open in living rooms and in small groups throughout the city. This means we'll constantly tell people and we'll remind one another that sins can be forgiven, even the worst ones. That hope can be found, that, that no one has outrun the grace and the mercy and the pursuing love of Jesus. And this means we will leverage everything. 
We will leverage it all to make much of Jesus in the places where his name is not known. In places where people live and die, they live entire lives without ever hearing the name of Jesus. And we will go there. We'll go there ourselves. We will send those of the best of us to go. Some of you will go. Some of you have gone. And we will go to places like Japan, to Turkey, to the Republic of Georgia, to the ends of the earth to tell them that Jesus is reconciling people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. We will make much of Jesus where he is not known. And this means we will fast and pray for our city for our lost friends. This means we'll choose our neighborhoods, our activities. We'll even throw parties for the sake of telling people about the treasure that we found. This is what a church family looks like when Jesus is the treasure. And may the spirit enable us to live like that. This doesn't happen apart from him. We can want to do these things. We can say what we desire. We can ask the Lord, but we need his spirit to be at work. And if he would be so gracious, may our treasure, Jesus Christ, the greatest treasure in all the world, may he be magnified. May we make much of him in Tomball and to all the nations. May he be the substance, the message, the means by which we do any of this. There's none like him. There's no one that compares. Let me pray for us. Father, we we want so badly that Jesus would be made extremely Massive in this city, massive in this church, massive to the nations that you that he would be made much of. God, would you would you use us in that? But before you even do that, Father, would 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 you make much of Jesus in our own hearts, where we are numb to you, where we are where we are bored by the realities of Jesus? Father, would you stir in us? Would you stir in us desire? Would you bring about activity in us that's not from us, that's just from your spirit, that's just from your, your urging us? And would we, would all that be birthed out of how great you are, how much we love you, how big of a treasure you are to us? So where we are not in awe of you, where we do not have great joy because of the treasure we found, Would you, by your spirit, show us the treasure that is Christ today? Father, we ask for this. We need this. Would you lead us? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.